0: And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Please turn in your Bibles to Colossians 3, verse 22. Today, Pastor Elliot looks at Colossians 3, verses 22 through 25. These are verses which teach us what God's newness for Christian employees look like. And now, Pastor Robert Elliott.
1: We move on to new and improved employees. Well, actually, the text says slaves, which is interesting because there was human slavery at the time the New Testament was written. But the New Testament doesn't address uh, human slavery as a social issue. It assumes it's there. That's not because the heart of God is anyway any way in favor of human slavery, but what, this is what it does mean. It means to God... Spiritual slavery to sin and Satan is of a higher concern than even human slavery. And so what does it say about slaves? We would say maybe our nearest parallel as employees. I know that it doesn't have a crisp connection, but it's the best we can do, right? Praise God we don't have human slaves. Well, we do. Girls and women and boys that are sexually trafficked as humans. Big problem big problem in the world. New and improved employees labor for the Lord with love and reverence. New and improved employees labor for the Lord with love and reverence. I see that in verses 22 to 25. See it with me. Slaves, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily, as for the Lord, rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. New and improved employees labor for the Lord with love and with reverence. So you who work for somebody else, which is most all of us, your company official, the signatory on the company checks, is not the one who pays you. The Lord does. The Lord gave you the job. The Lord gives you the health and strength to do the job. And the Lord is the one, as it were, who signs your paycheck every two weeks. You're working for the Lord. This implies at least five things, church. Number one, realizing that Jesus put your employment supervisor in charge over you at work. And you say, my employment supervisor? Jesus put my boss over me? You don't know my boss. No, but Jesus does. And he put him over you on the job. 22a again. Slaves in all things obey those who are your masters on earth. We must realize that Jesus put our employment supervisors in charge of us at our work. I think of Daniel, the 16-year-old Jew boy, who was taken to Babylon. 16 years old, along with other Jewish young men. He made some choices under King Nebuchadnezzar. He realized that under King Nebuchadnezzar is where he found himself because it was in the unfolding panoramic will of God for him, but also for his nation, the Jews. Second, Because the Lord gives you the employment that you have, number two, doing your employment duties is to be done from the inside out. We are to discharge our employment duties from the inside of our being out through our hands and our feet and our mouths and our backs. We are to work from the inside out. Verse 22b, not with external service, as those who merely please men. We are not to do a good job as long as we think our supervisor is seeing us. Rather, we are to do a good job when we know our supervisor isn't seeing us as well because our ultimate supervisor is seeing all. Daniel, in Babylon, 16 years old, was given food, good food. We'd say organic food. We'd say expensive gourmet food that was offered to the Babylonians' idols. And he purposed before he got into captivity in Babylon that he would not defile himself. That's a good decision for you to make if you're going back to school. Before you set into your first class, your first lecture, that you purpose in your heart not to defile yourself before God. Because when you make that decision, student, then all the other decisions subsequent to that fall into place. Alcohol, cheating, promiscuity, they, those decisions all fall into place if you decide beforehand you will not defile yourself before God. So anyway, Daniel made that decision, and he understood that whatever he did in Babylon, and he rose to the highest office in the civil service of Babylon when he was a senior citizen, and that was because he was honest, he was hardworking, he was predictable in his worship of God, In fact, they only could frame him when they wanted to frame him because they knew he prayed regularly through the day and they conned the king into making a decree that anyone who did that would be fed to the lions. They knew Daniel wouldn't stop. So they rested him when he was doing the right thing and God spared him in the lion's den and you know the wonderful miracle of that. But if you're an employee and you're new and improved in Christ, then you have to do what you're to do at your work from the inside out. A motivation from the Holy Spirit propelling you into obedience, propelling you into a good attitude, propelling you into faithfulness. That's the only way to happen for any of us. Third, realizing that any proper task is done as an act of worship. It's not secular or sacred. You don't come here and, as good as it is on Sundays and worship God only here, and then when you walk out of here, you don't worship God anymore. When you walk into your workplace tomorrow morning, it's... Don't have the attitude, well, I can't worship God here. I have to be at 110 Foxcroft Drive. No. Worship God because Jesus is watching everything. Verse 23. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. If you want to take down a couple notes, we have given several crowns that are available to us in the New Testament as believers. One is the crown of rejoicing, and that's a crown for good works. You can read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Another crown is the crown incorruptible, which is the crown of faithfully running the race, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And believers who realize that when they do their tasks at their workplace, they're really worshiping Jesus because he's watching, are in line for a crown of righteousness and a crown incorruptible. When I think about this, that Employment, any employment, any legal employment, is an act of worship to Jesus. I think of a Chinese brother we had speak at the last church I pastored in Canada. He was interred in a Chinese concentration camp because of his faith in Jesus Christ, and he was released, uh, a man in his 70s. And when he was free enough, he came to our church and he talked about the experience in prison and his job in this prison was to clean out the human waste cesspool. And the only way he could do that was to wade into the pool with the effluent about this high every day. And he said with a beaming joy that only Jesus can give, that was the best job I ever had in the concentration camp because I could go and worship the Lord. No one wanted to be around the cesspool. And he said, I sang in the cesspool every day I worked. And my favorite hymn to sing was, I come to the garden alone. New and improved employees understand that their Job is an avenue where they can worship Christ. Last, reverencing Christ at your place of employment will help you to avoid divine chastening. Verse 25. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done in that without partiality. God says it's so serious for you to live new and improved in your workplace or back then as a slave, then there's going to be a spanking if you don't. And so we ask ourselves, do we work for somebody else? Do we owe them anything? Make it right.
0: It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away, and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com.
1: Once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliott. I'm in the radio station this morning with dr jimmy DeYoung, welcome jimmy thank you appreciate the privilege and opportunity i've had to be with you well it's been our joy and a delight to help broadcast uh, the teachings of god's word on prophecy through your knowledge and your gracious uh, time with us i have uh, just some sample uh, prophecy questions that i think are common And maybe some of our listeners have some of these questions themselves. So let's start with the question, is the United States of America in the scriptures in the end times? You know,
2: Pastor, that is the most asked question when I go to a church and give opportunity for people to ask me prophecy questions. Is the USA in Bible prophecy? I was at a church recently, and as I was getting ready to answer that question, an old guy in the back stood up and said, hey, I know the answer to that question. I normally do not condescend to some old guy in the back to answer the questions I'm being asked. But for some reason, I I just uh, gave liberty and I let him answer. And I I said, okay, sir, where's the USA and Bible prophecy? He said, Jerusalem. I said, Jerusalem? I said, sir, he said, I know the question, Sonny. The answer is Jerusalem. (laughs) Then I was deep into it. I said, okay, how do you get that? He said, very simple. J E R U S A L E M no <laughs> and, and you know just like you and I are now laughing uh, everybody laughed but he was probably closer than most people would think Because I see no reference to the United States in Bible prophecy in any way, shape, or form from Genesis to Revelation. However, I see a possible referring to the United States over in the book of Zechariah, chapter 14 and verse 2, where it says, All the nations of the world will gather at Jerusalem at the end of the tribulation period. Jesus Christ is going to come back with the opportunity for meeting head on Satan, Antichrist and false prophet as they're going to try to take him on. And the nations of the world are going to be under the leadership of Satan to try to stop Jesus from setting up his kingdom. Now, this all comes about book of Revelation, chapter 16, verses 13 to 18, when the satanic trinity, Satan, Antichrist, and a false prophet, will perform signs, wonders, and miracles. And by the way, we have a proliferation of those today. Uh, But they will perform. These are satanic acts of signs, wonders, and miracles that will gather all the nations of the world into Jerusalem. Should the United States be around after the seven-year tribulation period, they will be included in all all nations that gather at the city of Jerusalem. We talk about the Battle of Armageddon. It's better referred to as the Campaign of Armageddon because it actually starts in Jerusalem. Remember when he steps back on the Mount of Olives, it splits, and it's opening up a way for those Many who want to take on Christ under the leadership of Satan to go up to the valley of the mountains, which is the Jezreel Valley, and there they will take on Jesus Christ. So. Uh, The United States is not in Bible prophecy, except with the possibility of being one of those nations. And when you watch what America is doing today with the killing of babies, with uh, letting sodomites play in the street and do what they're doing, the USA is on the slippery slopes to moral decay, educational decay, military decay, economic decay. I believe when the backbone of the United States leaves, that's the church at the rapture, And then this nation is supposed to be the most powerful in the world, be a nebulous entity. So I doubt if they'll be there at the end of the tribulation period, but that's what we know from the word.
1: Thank you. I think no one will look at the word Jerusalem quite the same after that story. (laughs) All right, here's one. Do you feel that Antichrist is alive on earth today? has to be alive and well on planet
2: earth and the reason I make that statement when if you've listened to these previous programs that we've done here you understand and I've given enough information from the prophetic scenarios found in God's word to help us realize that the rapture of the church could happen at any moment it's an any moment preparation that we must be have been made to know that we're going to go to be with him at the rapture of the church. And so with that being the case, the Antichrist has to appear. You see, there's three things that happen after the rapture of the church, before the tribulation begins. Daniel chapter 7 verse 7, the ten horns which is defined in verses 23 and 24 of Daniel 7 as the revived Roman Empire and then the little horn of verse 8 comes out of the ten horns and it comes out from the revived Roman Empire and then the little horn, the Antichrist will confirm a peace treaty Daniel 9 27, and that actually starts the clock ticking on the tribulation period. So the Antichrist, because of all that's unfolding today, I would have to say will be alive and well on planet Earth. Now, Satan has selected the individual who will be the Antichrist. He knows who he selected, God the Father. The Trinity knows who that individual is as well. Nobody else knows it, but these entities know. Satan and the Trinity, they know who the Antichrist is. But the activities of Satan energizing the Antichrist does not resurrect him from the dead. So if such individual has been selected by Satan dies, he can't resurrect him. So then he has another one in the wings it will put in place. I believe we're so close to the return of Jesus Christ, the end time scenario that's going to unfold. The Antichrist has to be alive. Should he pass from the scene? Should he die? Satan has another one puts in his place and the Antichrist will be ready to fulfill those prophecies of the Word of God.
1: That's food for thought. Just like the March Madness is going on in college basketball in the U.S. and the team that's down by a couple points puts on a full court press. Mm. The Church of Jesus Christ needs to put on a full court press. Absolutely. In these latter days of the church age. Now the question for you, Dr. DeYoung, uh, will there be a second chance to trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior after the church is raptured?
2: Not too long ago, there was a series of novels that were put out and it seemed to, when you read these novels, and remember, a novel is fictional. It's not where you get your doctrine from. You get your doctrine on all aspects of Christianity from the Word of God. And it seemed, these novels seemed to indicate you would have a second chance if you didn't receive Christ before the rapture of the church. When you go over to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, it talks about those who rejected the love of God that they might be saved. For those who have rejected the love of the truth that God shall give them eternal life, they shall be sent a delusion. They shall be sent something that's going to block out their thinking, and they're not going to be able to receive Jesus Christ. If they've rejected the truth, and that's before the rapture, because in the context of 2 Thessalonians 2, we're talking about the rapture and then the Antichrist coming on the scene, which is establishing that tribulation period. But I think that, that we must understand there are three steps, not only rejecting before the rapture. First of all, you've got to hear the gospel. That's the first step. And how shall they hear unless one go? And we must, you mentioned it, put on that full court prayer right now because the rapture is so close to get out there and win people to Jesus Christ. So if someone has heard the gospel message, that gives them an opportunity to receive Christ. But once they've heard it, they have to understand it. I believe that's the second step. You hear it, you understand it, then if you reject Jesus Christ, I believe the Bible teaches without hesitation there is no such thing as a second chance. Therefore, my dear friend, if you've heard the gospel, and you've understood the gospel, and you've rejected it, don't think you're going to get over there in the tribulation period when you see all of that unfolding, which the Bible talked about, and said, okay, now I believe it. No, it's going to be too late if you've heard it, understood it, and rejected it.
1: May we take that truth to heart. Last question for this broadcast, uh, Dr. DeYoung. When I entered the ministry, I thought I'd have to defend the Bible with people who were pagans, who were not saved, but I've come to find out in pastoring in Canada and then in the United States and here in the Bahamas that sometimes it's people who claim to be Christians that are biblically illiterate. And one of the topics I've run across in their illiteracy is the notion of a literal hell. Some say, this is my hell here and now. Others say, uh, God is too loving to send anybody to hell. What do the scriptures say about hell? Let's take that thought, God is too loving. What
2: happens at the great white throne judgment, and that's chapter 20 of Revelation verses 11 to 15, is that those who have rejected Jesus Christ, their name has been blotted out of the book of life. And by the way, that's an exciting thought. I believe Revelation chapter 3 says everybody's name is in the book of life in eternity past. The only way that name will be blotted out is if you reject Jesus Christ. And so in somebody, if they're going to appear there at the great white throne judgment, they appear there because of what they did not because of God being a mean God not because of Jesus Christ who is the judge at the great white throne judgment wanting to harm somebody but they made a decision a willful decision I don't want to receive Jesus Christ their name was blotted out of the book of life they stand there the Lord opens the book of life their name's not there and then he sentences them He actually is simply conforming to their will. You see, they didn't want to receive him. They don't want to go to heaven as promised in the word of God. And so he's just following through. He's exercising the opportunity to help them receive what they wanted. That's number one. And he does cast them into the lake of fire. That's exactly what it says. By the way, Matthew uh, chapter 25 and verses 40 and following says, the lake of fire, hell itself was only prepared for Satan, and his demons, evil angels, and those people who want to reject him. It wasn't prepared for everybody. It was prepared for those who want to go there, who because of their rejection of what God has offered and the free gift of eternal life, they go there. But when you think about hell itself, what did Jesus Christ say about it? Well, he said more about hell than he talked about heaven. I can guarantee you that ten times Ten times more about hell than teaching about heaven. That's what Jesus did in his three and a half years of ministry. Over in the book of Mark in chapter 9, he says, look, you don't want to go there. It's a place where the worm doth not, the fire is not quenched. That's the words of Jesus. That's not my words. That's the word of Jesus Christ where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. In fact, he said, look, if your hand's going to offend thee and cause you to go to hell, cut it off. If your foot's going to offend thee, take an axe and chop it off. If your eye's going to offend it, reach into your eye socket and pull it out and throw it in the dirt of the ground. It would be much better. Better for you to go through life maimed like that than to enter in the place where the worm doth not and the fire is not quenched. You see, Jesus Christ went to the cross. He went to the cross to be the ultimate sacrifice because a sacrifice, a shedding of blood, had to be done to make us pure. We could not keep what the Lord set down as the standard so we could walk into heaven. And he said, if you reject that, see, God the Father set the standard. I didn't set the standard. Pastor didn't set the standard. He set it. But then he so loved the world, he sent his only begotten Son that whomsoever will believe in him should not perish. What do you think that's talking about? Going to hell? Not perish, but receive him as Lord and Savior. Mm-hmm. He's done everything for us And if you reject it of your own free will, you will go to hell. That's an absolute.
1: May we take it to heart. If we do not know Christ as Lord and Savior, as a listener this morning, may we run to him and not away from him. And if we know him as our Lord and Savior, may we become vocal about the gospel, knowing that the time is short. Dr. DeYoung, I've just been so blessed to be with you these days through our conference and now in the studio. Thank you so much for coming to the Bahamas.
2: What a joy it's been been to me to be able to be here with you and share with your dear people. They were so gracious to us. You've been so gracious to us as well. Let me just say this final thought. We've been talking about Bible prophecy. We've given you indication that God's word is projecting that there's going to be a return of Jesus Christ. And it looks like the next event, without any prophecy that has to be fulfilled, the next event, the rapture, could happen at any moment. In fact, having said that, there's only one thing left for me to say. Let's keep looking up until he comes and make sure you're prepared for
1: that time. That's great. Dr. DeYoung, would you pray with our listeners as we close this broadcast?
2: What a joy to be with brothers and sisters in Christ here in Nassau. And what a privilege it's been to open the prophetic word of God and teach them. Pastor made a decision to put a missions conference and a prophecy conference together. They go hand in hand. The Lord in the book of Acts gave the marching order, start in Jerusalem, go to Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. And they did that because they were knowledgeable of the fact that he could come as they were watching him go into heaven. They were told, why stand you here gazing into heaven as he's gone? So he's gonna come again one day. They went out and turned the world upside down. And that's the privilege we've had of teaching these dear people here at Calvary Bible. But you've been listening to the broadcast. Dear Father, pray that these listening will appropriate these truths from your word. Mm -hmm. Come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. Be prepared for that next event, the rapture, but then live pure in light of that knowledge of the soon coming of Christ and be productive until he does come. Thy precious name we pray with thanksgiving.
0: Amen. Amen. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's EOCradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.